Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, choir. It was a little bit sad as I was leaving. Somebody said they heard me. I thought I was singing low enough that nobody could hear me. But hopefully none of y'all heard me. It is good to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and I appreciate those who are willing to, to do it. One reason I don't want to sing in the choir is because I'm getting old, and my voice when I preach sometimes starts to run out, so I don't need to sing right before I preach on a regular basis. You know, Sharon sang about the goodness of God, and I think most of us recognize that God is good. And sometimes we look around us, and we wonder why God allows some of the things that he allows us. The shooting in Texas this past week. And that is horrific just to think about, is it not? It's a complicated situation. There, there are a lot of factors that are involved in the situation. There's some things that we can do. There's some things that we cannot do. But I think most of us would agree that the biggest problem is where we as a nation have been going over the last several decades. I think that some of you, when you were growing up, how many of you took your pickup to, to school and you had guns in the back of the pickup and just left them there all, 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 all day during the school time? Uh, the, the problem, from my perspective, is not primarily guns. The problem is primarily the heart of people. And people need the Lord Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that the government keeps Christianity out of the public square, out of schools and so on. And then when something like this happens, they complain. But the reality is that we need God. The reality is we need God to work in the lives of people. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm not trying to minimize what happened in Texas, not at all. But I do know that the answer is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Another report came out this past week, actually it was a week ago, and it had to do with sex abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Of course, it's happening all over the place, and unfortunately there are some that are pastors or on staff or volunteers who have done things which are totally wrong. And the, the victims need to be listened to. The, uh, the people need to be held accountable that have engaged in such things as these. It, it's a difficult situation, though. In, in one sense, it's a reflection of the Me Too movement, which had some validity, has some validity. On the other side, there's a portion of Scripture that says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except with two or three witnesses. And, and in a sense, I've never heard that in the conversation over the last year or so in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a balance. We need to make sure, though, that we are taking care of the victims, that we are making sure that we are being safe. One of the things we try to do here is anybody that works with children or youth, uh, we try to have them background checked, uh, and, and we try to take steps to where people are not alone with individuals and so on. Because it is important to keep people safe. And it's important to, 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 to listen to them and to try to help them to heal. Uh, we need wisdom, do we not, in the nation today, in the church today. Even though we see the bad news, we know that God is good. We know that we can trust in him no matter what. You know, as we think about Memorial Day, I have down, written down here an opportunity to remember and honor those who have given their lives in service to 
our country. And, and that's so important. But I also have written down a realization that so many others were willing to give their lives, but they did not have to do so. And I believe that that's a reflection in one way of the love of God. In a sense, we were created in the image of God. And I believe that all of us, even though we are evil, even though we have a human nature which is wrong, all of us have an element of, of God and God's character in us. And, and I believe that as, as we think about these soldiers who have given their lives, it reminds me to some extent about what God did for us. God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. We need to trust him to guide us and direct us and to help us. Uh, John 3.16, we're very familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's interesting. 1 John 3.16 says this. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he laid down his life for us. We ought to do the same thing. And, of course, that's what soldiers are willing to do on a regular basis. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Again, the ultimate example is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe that as we think about our military and what they're willing to do and what so many have done, they have laid down their lives for their friends, for their brothers. For their sisters. So we think about what Jesus did. We need to focus on him. And we're going to do that from Luke chapter 9. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Beginning to read at verse number 18. Luke 9, 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four gospels. This was written by a physician named Luke. who spent a lot of time with Paul. And he was a historian as well. Luke 9, 18, it says, It happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. Others say that one of the other old, old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And strictly he warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. You know, as we look at this portion of Scripture, I believe there are three things that we need to do, three priorities that we have. The first one is, to realize who Jesus is. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they had different ideas. They had different opinions. 
And I guess we all have different opinions, do we not? About Jesus, about the Bible, and things of that nature. But then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? To the disciples. And their response was clear that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We need to recognize that Jesus was not just a good man, though he was a good man. He was not just a great teacher, though he was probably the greatest teacher who ever lived. I need to take out that probably. He was the greatest teacher who ever lived. He was not just a miracle worker, but he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one that the Jewish nation had been waiting for for hundreds of years. You know, I've, I've heard different people say this, and I'm not sure who said it initially. That when you think about what Jesus Christ claimed to be in his word, what he said in his word, he was one of two things. He was either a liar, he, he didn't mean what he said, he was being deceptive, or he was a lunatic. He really did believe that he was the Messiah, but, but he didn't know. I used to, when I was in college, work in a mental ward. And that was my ministry on Sunday morning. We would go and we would spend time with people who had mental issues. And I met a lot of very famous people in that ward, or at least they thought they were famous. I, I met Jesus Christ. I, I, I met uh, several other very important people, presidents and so on. But Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to recognize who Jesus was, to realize who Jesus is. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 15, Simon Peter answered and he said, You were the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think in this day and age, there's so many people that think Jesus was just a great man. And he was a great man. But he was fully God and fully man. He was indeed the Messiah. So number one, realize who Jesus is. Number two, remember why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to teach us some things. He didn't come to work some miracles. He primarily came to give his life on the cross so that we might have everlasting life. Now Jesus was looking ahead when in Luke chapter 9, he said these words. Luke chapter 9, verse number 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Notice, number one, that he suffered many things. It was just not, not just his time on the cross, though that was a very big part of it. But he went through a good amount of stuff. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, he dropped, he was sweating drops of blood. He suffered many things. He was rejected by the elders, by the chief priests and scribes. Those who were religious leaders in that day rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He was killed on the cross, and then the third day he rose again. That's what the gospel is all about. The fact that Jesus died and he rose again. And because Jesus died and rose again, we can have everlasting life. 
Matthew 16 is a sister portion of scripture, so to speak. In other words, it, it's, a, it's a reflection of what is said in Luke. And this is what it says in verse 21 and following. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Because Peter and the disciples thought that Jesus coming as the Messiah meant that he would, he would sort of take over. He would reign in the world. He would overthrow the Roman Empire, at least the portion of Roman Empire that they were associated with. They thought that he would come as the reigning Messiah, and one of these days he will. But the reality is that Jesus came as the suffering Messiah. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, it's clear that the Messiah was going to suffer to pay the penalty for our sins. And we need to realize, to remember why Jesus came. Mark 10, 45 puts it like this. This is Jesus speaking. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. Most kings come to be served. They want everybody to do what they want them to do. But Jesus came to serve people. And that's what he did during his life, did he not? And then he died for many on the cross. He gave his life as a ransom. The reality is we're sinners. We deserve to spend eternity in hell because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross. And if we believe, then we can have everlasting life. That's what the gospel is all about. And the gospel is why Jesus came. So number one, we realize who Jesus was or who he is. And that would be the Messiah, the Son of God. We remember why Jesus came. He came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Then thirdly, we need to reflect on when Jesus comes back again. Notice verses 23 and following. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to them all, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what, is it a, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or lost? It seems to indicate that those of us who are just focused on us, those of us who are seeking just to take care of number one, so to speak, which many people say number one is us. But of course, number one ought to be God, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then when it comes to eternity, we're going to be in trouble. In fact, in verse number 26, it says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Did you know Jesus Christ is coming back? Some, some preachers don't believe that. Some preachers don't believe in the return of Jesus Christ. You know why I believe some people don't believe that? It's because they don't believe God's word. Because God's word is clear that Jesus Christ is going to come back. In fact, when he ascended up to heaven, the disciples were there watching him go into heaven. A couple of angels came along and said, 
Why are you watching him go into heaven? He's going to come in like manner as he left. We don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. But we know that he is. And we know that we need to be ready. We need to reflect on when Jesus comes back. And live life with an eternal perspective. Have you ever thought about that before? How long are we going to live here on earth? I know Mr. Baker lived to be 99. And there's some others in our church that have been in their 90s. In fact, there's some in the 90s right now. And that's a good long life. But it's nothing compared to eternity. There are different ways to describe how long eternity is. One of my favorites is that a, every thousand years, a bird gets one grain of sand from the east coast and takes it to the west coast. A thousand years later, he gets another grain of sand and takes it to the west coast. He gets all of the grains of sand on the east coast and takes them to the west coast, and then he starts back over, going back to the east coast with the grains of sand every thousand years. And eternity will have just begun. It's one way to think about it. Eternity is a long time. We have a tendency to live for the here and now rather than living in the light of eternity. It's important for us to seek to have an eternal perspective. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about seeking those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, setting our affection on things above not on things on the earth. How many people really do that? How many of us really focus on heavenly things rather than earthly things? It's, it's sometimes a challenge to do that. We have a lot going on around us. We live in a hectic world. And there's so many things coming our way. Whether it has to do with appointments or interruptions or telephone calls or text messages or emails. How many of you get too many emails? If you get too many emails, raise your hand. How many of you have been tempted just to do away with your phones and your computers? I see some of their hands. How many of you do that? You just, you don't, you don't, you don't check your email and stuff like that. Probably some of us would prefer to do that. We just have a lot coming our way. And with all that's going on, it is hard for us to focus on that which is most important. Hard to focus on Jesus Christ. God's word indicates in John 15 that we need to be abiding in Christ if we want to bear much fruit and if we want to glorify God. So focusing on that relationship with Jesus Christ is very important, especially as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, talk about heaven and talk about the return of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is where? In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is not here on earth, it's in heaven. And we can look forward to, to heaven. Now, I was, I was young when I was born. I just wanted to see if people were listening. I really don't remember it. But I was born in New Jersey. Can you tell from my accent? 
I was born during a doubleheader. Dad was not at the hospital. He was out at the park playing a doubleheader. And, uh, of course, Mom was there uh, <laughs> when I was born. Had a Christian doctor, Dr. Glasser, who prayed for me when I was born. And, and I think I've told you all before that uh, the, the, the scoreboard uh, had on it, Bobby Richardson has, had a baby son. Uh, there was another player that had a baby that same day. 60,000 people saw it been downhill ever since then. <laughs> so I was born in New Jersey, but I would say my citizenship is not New Jersey. I'm South Carolinian. Spent most of my life here in South Carolina. And it's, it's a similar thing in regard to heaven. We, we might be here on earth right now, but our citizenship is really not on earth. It's in heaven. And we need to be looking ahead to the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a minute ago, I talked about abiding in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 28, 1 John 2, 28, and following verses, it deals with heaven. And this is what it says. Now, little children, abide in him, in Jesus, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I wish I'd put that on the screen. Let me read it again. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, but we need to be focusing on that. We need to be focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, so far we've talked about Realizing who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering why he came. He came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have everlasting life. And because he died and rose again, we can go to heaven and we can have abundant life. We need to reflect on when Jesus Christ is coming back and seek to be ready. But finally, we need to resolve to do what Jesus asked us to do. I mean, that makes sense, does it not? That we should be wanting to do what Jesus wants us to do. Let's look at one more verse. We've already looked at it once. It's Luke chapter 9, verse number 23. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, that's what discipleship is all about, coming after Jesus. A disciple is supposed to be a student of his master who, number one, listens to what his master says and then, number two, does what his master does. That makes sense, doesn't it? We're supposed to listen to what Jesus says. We need to read God's word, spend time in Scripture, and then we need to do what Jesus did. In fact, 1 John 2, 6 says we should walk as he walked. So discipleship is coming after Jesus Christ. And he says, if any man will come after me, let him do three things. Number one, deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. Well, there, there are three things we need to, to do because Jesus asked us to do them. He wasn't just talking to the 12 disciples. This portion of scripture applies to each and every one of us because it says that we need to go and make disciples. Number one, deny himself. That would be selflessness. Now, we hear a lot about selfishness in this world today, don't we? 
There are a lot of selfish people around that want what they want when they want it. Why do kids normally throw a temper tantrum? Because they're not getting what they want. Why do we as adults sometimes throw our temper tantrums? They might not look exactly like a kid's temper tantrum, but we get mad. Why? The vast majority of times we get mad is because we don't get what we want. We live in a selfish world where people are looking out for themselves. But if we want to follow Jesus Christ, we need to be like him. And what he did is he denied himself. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that he left heaven, came down on earth, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He denied himself. He did not pursue what he wanted. He was selfless. Should we be the same thing? Should we be selfless? Is that too ideal? I think it's difficult for us because of our sin nature. But I am convinced that God wants us to become more and more like Jesus Christ, which means that we should become less and less selfish and more and more selfless. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. That has to do with sacrifice. I mean, the cross was the ultimate sacrifice. It was a, a method of torture that the Romans came up with. The worst part was not the nails through the hands and through the feet. The worst part was that most people died on a crucifixion from asphyxiation. In other words, they couldn't breathe. Because what would happen is they'd be hanging there, and after a while... Um, their arms that were trying to hold them up and their feet that were pushing them up uh, would, would get tired and they'd let down and, and they couldn't breathe very well. And so they'd push up until they couldn't do it anymore, the cramps and so on, they'd let down. Why do you think the Romans broke the legs of the two people on either side of Jesus? That way they could not push up anymore and they would die more quickly because the Sabbath was coming. And they wanted to go ahead and for them to die quickly. That's the kind of anguish that Jesus went through. But it wasn't just physical anguish. It was also emotional anguish. He was separated from God. Remember, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd never been separated from God before. He'd always been in perfect fellowship with God. But when he took upon himself the sins of the world, he was separated from God. So it was physical anguish. It was emotional anguish. And of course it was spiritual anguish. Because he was bearing the sins of the entire world. Those who have lived in the past. Those who are going to live in the future. That was difficult what Jesus went through. He sacrificed greatly for you and for me. And guess what? He calls on us to live sacrificial lives as well. Our tendency is to stay in our comfort zone. Our, our tendency is to, to try to, to live life in such a way that we have as little pain as we can have. But what Jesus said is that we need to be willing to sacrifice. Think about it for just a minute. Those people who have served in the military, most of them were selfless when it came to that. Most of them were sacrificial. And then the third thing is this, follow me. 
That has to do with surrender. In the military, there is a hierarchy of authority. And if you have somebody that's an authority over you, you're supposed to do what they say. Isn't it true with Jesus as well? He said we need to to make sure that we deny ourselves, take up his cross, and follow him. He needs to be the authority in our lives. We live in a society where authority is not liked. We live in a society in which authority is so often ridiculed or ignored. I think that's one of our big problems in America today is, is our disdain or disregard for authority. Who is the one that instigated authority? God did. If you check out Romans, it talks about the fact that that the authorities are ordained by God. He sets up government. He sets up husbands and and, and parents and, and government and so on to be authorities. And we need to listen to what God has to say and follow him. When, when you think about Scripture, shouldn't we be determined that we're going to follow it? Now, it's important to rightly divide the Word of God. Sometimes we can read scripture and misinterpret. But it's important to interpret it rightly and then do what it says. But how many people in the world today, even those in the church, look at scripture and they say, well, I know it says that, but. We should have a determination that we are going to be totally obedient to God's word as we rightly divide the word of truth. In fact, we should have a predetermined a predetermined obedience. In other words, we determine beforehand that we're going to do what God wants us to do. When the temptation comes along and we're tempted to do something else, we've already made our decision. We don't have to make another decision. We've already decided that we are going to follow Jesus Christ and we're going to follow his word. So when it says in verse number 23 that that we need to make sure that we deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him, that we need to be living lives of selflessness, sacrifice, and surrender to him. And I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is, is that kind of life that we live? Are we willing to live mediocre, complacent Christian lives where people look at us and they think, well, I think, well, they say they're a Christian. Or should we live in such a way that it's obvious that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that makes a significant difference in every area of life and ministry? Now, is this a challenge? Yes, it is. Because if we live this way, we're going to be different. And there's some that will probably make fun of us because of the way that we are living. I know that that with Vice President Pence. Uh, you re- remember the story several years ago where people got on him because he followed the Billy Graham rule, that he didn't spend time alone with, with women of the opposite sex. And Pence did the same thing, and they ridiculed him. But isn't that the smart thing to do? I, I really believe that Billy Graham was an individual who loved God and wanted to live for him. And God used him significantly. Do we love God? Do we want to live for him? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Which means that we need to 
make sure that we are living lives of selflessness, sacrifice, and surrender. Now, we cannot do it in our own strength. But aren't you glad for Philippians 4.13, where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Aren't you also glad for what John said in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. None of us are going to be perfect. But do you want to live your life 100% for God? Jesus really did ask a lot of his disciples. He asked a lot of us. Are we willing to do what he says? Are we resolved to do what he asks us to do? To deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> just pray that you will work in each of our lives, mine included, in such a way that as we look at who Jesus was, as we look at why he came, as we think about the fact that he's coming again, that we will resolve that we're going to do what he asks us to do. Number one, trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But then number two, Lord, I pray that we will be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you to live lives of selflessness and sacrifice and surrender. Lord, I do pray that you will transform us by the renewing of our minds, that through your word and through prayer, we'll think differently and we'll live differently for your honor and for your glory. All because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.